0: And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass through before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so, in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Since the reading of the Lord's word this morning. Let's pray and ask him to bless it to us. God, your word is perfect and it is holy. And we dare not come before you without first confessing that we need you to even understand it. If you do not reveal yourself, if you do not teach us by your spirit, we will be in the dark. And so we pray that you would illumine us, that you would convict us of our sin, that you would comfort us in the beauty of the gospel, that you have silently endured so much to give us water. Bless us as we hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So when I say the phrase trial of the century, what pops into your head? Maybe if you were alive 30 years ago, uh, you think of the O.J. Simpson trial, right? That's the trial of the century. More recently, maybe you think of the trial of Derek Chauvin a couple of years back. Maybe the Depp vs. Heard defamation trial recently. Right, there's been a lot of high-profile trials recently. Trials of the centuries. These, these trials that have made their way into mainstream consciousnesses. But I'm going to make a bold claim today. All these trials, even the most high-profile ones of the last 50 years, are small potatoes. Because there's been a couple, there's been a few trials in all of history that blow these out of the water. And these trials weren't just trials of the century, these were the highest profile trials of all of human history. And one of them is in Exodus 17. In our passage this morning, we read of a trial. And the trial is the people of Israel versus the creator of the universe. Where Israel files a lawsuit against God. It's probably not how you've heard this passage described in the past, I'm sure. But as we take a closer look, we'll see that a charge is directed against Moses and thus God. Witnesses are called, the accused stands in defense of himself, but instead of offering a defense, he's silent. The verdict is rendered, judgment is issued. And then water comes out of the rock that was struck. We're left with so many questions. Right? What was Israel's accusation? Was it true? Why did God willingly go to trial? Why was he silent? Why didn't he defend himself? Why did striking the rock result in water for Israel to drink? Hopefully we'll see answers to these questions this morning. But at the end of the matter, the main point of this whole trial of the people of Israel versus Yahweh is this the Lord silently endured trial and judgment because he wanted to give you living water the Lord endured silently trial and judgment because he wanted to give you living water so why do I keep saying this is a trial clearly I've lost all my marbles but let's look closely Let's see how the passage is leading us. Because the passage begins with Israel setting out from the wilderness of sin, moving, uh, having just received this gift of unlimited manna. So they set out in this place from stages, verse 1. They set out according to the commandment of the Lord. Take note of that. We're going to come back to that in a second. And Israel camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said give us water to drink. Now we've seen Israel grumble before. We've seen Israel complain before but the the text uses a different word today. It's not the word for grumbling. It's the word for which the English says quarreling which is not super common today but I'm sure what you think of is right they're having an argument. They come with their fists up and they're going to punch Moses or something. And that's that's one meaning, that's one possible meaning of the word. But another word, another meaning of this word is to conduct a lawsuit. God uses this exact word when he brings a covenantal lawsuit against Israel and the prophets. Israel is coming to Moses with a charge, a legal covenantal charge against Moses, who of course responds... In verse, uh, in verse two, three, sorry, two, why do you conduct a lawsuit with me? Why do you test the Lord? In other words, Moses understands it's not actually about him; it's about God. The people are angry; they're thirsty, and so they come to Moses saying, "Give us water." But Moses says, you're testing the Lord. Now we have to ask, okay, so if they're conducting a lawsuit, if they're testing the Lord, what are they what what law has God broken that they are coming with a charge on? So remember how we said, note that they left in stages according to the commandment of the Lord? I think this is what's happening. Israel has grumbled. Right, And they learn that they're not supposed to do that. But they learn that God blesses them anyways. But every time the Lord blesses them, he reminds them that he's testing them to keep his commandments. The Lord is saying, here is my law. Keep it and you will be blessed. And so Israel says, okay, we'll do that we're going to leave in stages just like God told us to do. We're going to go where God says we're going to keep his commandments this time. And they do and there's no water and they say what gives? You told us to keep your commandments. We did that. Where's the water? Why aren't you keeping your end of the bargain? You and I ask ourselves these questions all the time. You did what you thought at the time was the right thing. You tried to be faithful to God. You trusted God. You took that step of faith. So why is my life not better? If I'm doing the right things, why is my life still like this? Why am I still struggling with this sin? Or why is this relationship not healed? Why am I still struggling to make ends meet? Why is my life hard? Why isn't there water? Does God just not care? Is God punishing me for some sin? Doesn't God know how hard my life is? Doesn't he know that I'm exhausted and empty and thirsty? So why does he keep piling things on? In essence, what we're asking is, why isn't God keeping his end of the bargain? I did my part. Why isn't God doing his? And that means that we are bringing a charge, a covenantal charge against God. And that's what Israel is doing. God has broken the law to them of their expectations. They expected that if they did the right things, followed the right steps, went to the right place, they would have the result. They would have water. They would have life. They would get to where they're supposed to go. But the reality is that sometimes you do all the right things and there still isn't water. So in their bitterness over their unmet expectations, Israel levies their accusation. They brought a charge. They said, you're supposed to give us water. Give us water. Moses says, why do you test the Lord? And so Israel says... Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us? Why are you trying to kill us? That's an accusation. That is the charge that Israel is bringing against God. And so Moses turns to the Lord and says, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord says something... I don't think anybody would have expected. Here's Israel bringing a charge against God saying, God, we're putting you on trial for trying to kill us, for not doing your end of the bargain, for not giving us what we need. And God says, in verse 5, pass through before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel, taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. So God tells Moses to gather some of the elders, take up the staff, go to Horeb. In other words, Israel has God called for a trial, and God is going to give them a trial. This is why Moses brings the elders of Israel. Israel. These are the judicial authorities of the people. And they are witnesses. Moses is to take the staff with which he struck the Nile. And they're to go to Horeb, which in another place in the scriptures is called the mountain of God. This is the same mountain where God met with Moses in the burning bush. And this is the same mountain that a few chapters later, God will write the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. This is God's mountain, God's throne room. So he says, Okay, you want a trial? Come into my courtroom, bring witnesses, and I will stand before you. I will take my witness stand. As the accused. God is on trial. He, he lets it happen. But what we expect to happen, right, is God's going to say, okay, here's why I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. How could you accuse me of wanting to kill you when clearly all I've done is bless you? He could have said that. And he would have been right. He could have said, you have no place to put me on trial. You are my people. I am your king. You don't get to accuse me. He could have said that. He could have said, what more do I need to do for you? I'm going to cut you loose because you're a stubborn and rebellious people. He could have said that. What does God say in response to their accusations? nothing he doesn't respond to their accusations at all he just stands on trial why finish reading verse 5 behold I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people shall drink In other words, strike me with this staff. I will stand before you on trial and you shall strike me with this staff. And this staff is the same staff that Moses used to strike the Nile and turn it into blood. In other words, this is not just any staff. This is not just a stick. This is an instrument of judgment. And it's not Moses' instrument of judgment. Because Moses didn't turn the Nile into blood. God did. This is God's staff. This is God's tool of righteous judgment. And he's saying, hit me with it. I will stand on trial and you will hit me with my own tool of judgment. And water will come out. So why is the Lord silent? Why doesn't he respond to these accusations that are clearly false? It's because he wanted to endure judgment. Because if God made a defense of himself, he would go free. Because who has the authority to put God on trial? Could you? Could you stand in a courtroom and accuse God and win that case? But God lets Israel do that. He willingly lets them. And he's silent because he knows that if he offers a defense, he'll go free. But he doesn't offer a defense so that he will be judged so that Israel will have water. Because he knows this is the only way. He has to be judged so that Israel can drink. He's silent because he knows he needs to endure trial and judgment, but he does it willingly because he wants to bless Israel. Because he wants to bless you. God wants to give you the things you need. Remember how I said at the beginning, Exodus 17 is only one of the highest profile trials in history. There's a couple more. First is Matthew 26, where Jesus stands before the high priest, and the scribes, and the elders. And they brought forward many accusations, they brought charges, they brought brought, uh, false witnesses against him. And at any point, Jesus could have said, these are false, And offered a defense of himself, and he would have gone free. But what does Matthew 26 say? Jesus remained silent. Why? Because he knew that if he made a defense, he would go free. But he didn't want to go free, he didn't want to avoid judgment, he wanted to go to the cross. He wanted to be struck and killed. Because he loved you more than his own life. He loved you more than his reputation. He wanted to bless you with waters that would quench your thirst. But he knew the only way for that to happen is he would have to silently endure trial and judgment. And so he's silent before the high priest. Before all the false uh, accusers. But even still. Even still, that trial before the high priest is small potatoes. Because a different trial was going on at the same time. But in this trial, Jesus was not standing before man. Jesus stood before God the Father. He stood accused of every kind of evil and vile and wicked thing you could think of. And in the face of the Lord, he was silent. Even though these were not his sins he was being accused of, he was silent. And God the Father pronounced the verdict death on the cross. And Jesus was silent. And Jesus was led away to the cross. And he was killed. Not by man. But it was God the Father who struck the blow. Because God's justice had to be satisfied. Because the only way for you to have life is if your sin is first judged. So either you have to stand on trial... Or Jesus has to do it for you. And Jesus very much wanted to do it for you. So he stood on trial. He was judged by God. And his last words were, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the greatest blow of all. He endured it because he knew that when the rock is struck, water comes out. When Jesus died on the cross, everlasting life flowed from it. His wounds pour out living waters. And so Peter can say that by his wounds, we are healed. And Jesus can say, I am the living water. Whoever comes to me will never thirst. Not because he was going to give you some really good mountain spring water that would quench your thirst for a day. Because he wanted to give you everlasting life. He wanted to bless you with a water that will change you forever. And whoever drinks deeply of the water of the cross will never thirst again because the trial is over Jesus has been judged but he lives again which means your sin if you are in Christ your sin legally does not exist anymore cuz the, the trial's over. The judge has packed up his gavel and gone home. Which means two things. Don't wallow in your guilt and shame anymore. Cuz Jesus took the judgment already. So if, when you beat yourself up and hate yourself as if it's as if you're saying that Jesus missed a spot. Right? I'm so terrible. How could God love me? No way he could forgive me again. So I'm just going to be guilty and feel shamed and wallow in it. That's not humility. Humility is giving it up to Jesus. Humility is saying, I do not deserve Jesus who silently endured trial and judgment for my sake. Hate your sin, yes, but believe the gospel. That also means be thankful. Make your life a sacrifice of living praise and thankfulness. And when your life gets hard, your temptation is going to be to turn to God and accuse Him to levy a charge that you have done your part, why isn't God doing His? I've been good. I've listened and obeyed. Don't do that. Because Jesus has paid the price. He's already stood the trial. How much more does he have to prove his love to you? But even still, even when you do that again, he doesn't change how he responded the first time. Even when you accuse Jesus now, he still silently endures it. And he points you to the cross. He points you to the fact that he has already died for you. That you have living waters. That you don't need anything more in this life. And so he gives us the supper every week to quench our thirst. To remind us that we have eternal life, not because we have earned it, not because we've been good and he's done his part, you've done yours, but because you're the one who put God on trial. Because he was judged and water has come out. That's what the supper reminds us of every week. So let us give thanks to God. Let us let go of our sin and our guilt and our shame. Let us partake of the living waters of the cross. I'd like to ask the elders and Pastor Brett to come forward so we can partake of this meal this morning. God, we thank you again for the waters of life that you've given to us without price. Lord, in the midst of our circumstances, we ask that you would help us to give thanks to you. That you would turn our hearts away from those questions that bug us, those doubts that linger in the back of our minds, that you don't really love us, that you don't really forgive us, that you actually want bad for us. Lord, help us to put those thoughts to death to cling to Jesus, to the truth of the cross. And Lord, may you be glorified. May the world know that you are the God who silently endures trial and judgment for the sake of his people. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.